Our sponsor today is none other than our Patreon members. You folks are bringing swords and HEMA to listeners worldwide, so thank you. To support our work and receive exclusive benefits, visit patreon.com forward slash swordwomen. Welcome to By the Sword, where we discuss the modern study of historical European martial arts, or HEMA, with instructors, experts and martial artists from all over the world. Today we talk to Ellie Hutchinson, the creator behind the clothing brand Lorica, which features designs based on real-world historical armour and clothing. We discuss ethics in manufacture, body diversity and historical accuracy. The episode was recorded on Instagram Live 25th April 2021. So, Ellie Hutchinson, Lorica Clothing, uh, the gorgeous and creative person behind the brand. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Fran. I'm so flattered that you asked. No, I've been wanting to talk to you for ages, uh, especially <laughs> now I'm on the topic of uh, people in the HEMA community that make stuff for the HEMA community and beyond. Um, I've been really looking forward to speaking to you about Lorica clothing. And uh, yeah, let, let's get started. So my first question uh, for you was, you do HEMA. Uh, I've seen you, uh, you, you do Longsword. Uh mm-hmm. And where, where do you study? Which club? I, I'm at CKDF in Washington, D.C., or was until everything. So, <laughs> yes, but. the incident. Uh, right. Uh, uh, I just want to know what came first, the, the cl- historical clothing or, or HEMA? So what, what inspired what? Right. So the... I guess most technical answer is Lorica came first, but I had known about HEMA quite a while further back in college. Mm -hmm. Um, My now husband and I were dating in college, and he was like, you know, I hate exercise in general, but I've heard of this cool thing where if I had to exercise, I would want to do this. And he showed me that, I want to say it was like a New York Times video about Long Point, and it like interviewed Jake Norwood and Keanu Shirk, and yeah, he, he showed me that video, and I was like, I must know more but of course you were in college so it's like even if we wanted to we don't have cars and we don't have money to like invest in a new hobby um so a couple years later I moved back to the DC area um and it was 2017 that I both started Lorica and started HEMA so I start my Kickstarter campaign was in February of that year and then I started going to see KDF I think in June. Mm-hmm. Um, so by then, the Kickstarter had concluded. Um, but because I was so knee deep in all this armor stuff, I'm like, you know, now's a great time to like, look into this thing that we had been talking about so long ago and see if there's anywhere nearby that we can practice at. Um, so I think I used the HEMA, like HEMA Alliance Club locator and was like, oh, look, look, there's this like place nearby, we should go check it out. And so we did. <laughs> That is such but, a fantastic uh, result. Yeah. It's amazing. It started so yeah. many people's HEMA careers, that, that website. Right. And for, I think the first couple of months that I practiced there, I explicitly did not wear my leggings because I didn't want to be like, 
I didn't want to be accused of like going to HEMA to market, right? Because like I was legitimately there to practice and I didn't want it to be um, distracting. Um, but eventually like people recognized me because I think this, uh, the campaign had been spread among so many HEMA people that are like, aren't you that platinum blonde Asian girl who sells armor leggings? Um, and I was like, yeah. So um, <laughs> it was kind of a conversation starter after that. And I was able to like wear my pants and not feel like I was hawking goods at practice or anything. So yeah, <laughs> it worked out. So there was probably also a bit of that kind of, I'm only a beginner kind of thing. I don't want to. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be like, you know how like, how to say it when you first start a sport it feels really good to look like you are good at the sport so you like like when i played volleyball i got like got the volleyball socks i got the volleyball shorts like i wanted to look like i was pro because i feel like to some extent it in fact it, it affects your performance as well like when you feel like you look good you do better oh, right because yeah. you don't have to feel yeah you don't feel like a loser but the other side of the sword is you also don't want to look try hard when you're a beginner and bad because people are going to be like, why she got all this gear when she sucks, you know? So like, it was part of that as well, where I didn't want to be like, everyone look at me while I don't know what an overhow is. <laughs> so I tried to like, but they said, yeah, all, all the gear, no idea kind of thing. Right. Uh, I, I th there is a kind of like an element when people start HEMA or any or any uh, martial art. I guess they're they're. I find that they're kind of apologetic about mm -hmm. it. They're very apologetic. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm just a noob kind of thing. And it's like, come on, you've 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 brought yourself here. You've taken this big step of starting a new thing. You know, be proud of yourself. It's not something to apologize for. You don't. Right. You're not expected to start. Uh, a martial art knowing everything otherwise what's the point you're here to learn kind of thing right so but i guess because it's such a collaborative yeah. thing unlike i mean all sports are collaborative but to so much of martial arts training is like paired exercise you just like don't want to bring down your partner so there's this like i'm so sorry you got paired with me <laughs> you could be off with someone else having such a better drill but instead you're stuck so um I think it's a lot of that as well. And especially as women, I think we have this whole complex of like, I have to make everyone else comfortable having the best experience they can have. Yeah. Um, make myself small, so, but uh, make myself right. friendly, <laughs> mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. all, all that kind of stuff. Never, don't, don't worry about my needs, worry about everybody else's needs kind of thing. Right, exactly. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I truly believe, sorry, we're going off a little bit of a tangent here, but I do truly believe that everybody has something to teach you. You know, it doesn't matter whether they started today or 10 years ago. Everyone that you train with has something to teach you, um, even if it's never fence that person ever again. Uh, it's mm -hmm. a lesson. Uh, <laughs> so you did, you did, a, you started off uh, Lorica with a Kickstarter campaign in 20, mm -hmm. February 2017. And mm -hmm. you, uh, what was, what sort of got it all you know, moving, what was the big kind of, I have to do this thing? When, when did that all kind of coagulate and come together? Right. So I guess to tell, to roll back the Lorica origin story further. Yeah. When I, I went to college for business administration, concentration in marketing and also fine arts. Um, 
so when I got out of school, I was fairly convinced that I wanted to do entertainment design. Like I went to school in LA, so it's like all the movies are there. And I was like, that is what I'm going to do. It is cool. It is in my field and I'll be able to brag about it. Um, but LA was just like really overwhelming. And all my family was back here on the East Coast. So I'm like, change of plans back to the East Coast. But I still want to do something with some manner of like creative cachet. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to look for advertising gigs very specifically. Um, but DC isn't really known as a creative town. It's very, um, government centric naturally. Um, so as a cre- everyone's creative, but as someone who does creative stuff to be paid for it, um, you feel very lucky when you land any sort of gig, I guess I will say that. Um, so when I first got out of college, I was looking for jobs. I had that like new grad sense of like, I'm not employed. I must be worthless. (laughs) So during that time, I started Lorca, like as a, as a personal project, just kind of to keep the muscles working and to keep myself busy as I like write cover letters and do that sort of thing, because I'd always been interested in fashion and I was inspired by the way some brands like black note clothing, um, gold bubble clothing, like people who really pioneered, cool prints on clothes, especially leggings, um, had kind of like created this new canvas for art that was the mm-hmm. human body, right? Um, so I thought like, well, I'm, I'm not someone who's very interested in the silhouette of clothes. I'm more interested as like a graphic artist in using the geography body as like something to paint upon. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really where my skill set lay. So I was like, I, actually wasn't in armor first. I thought that I was going to do something more cosplay like, oh, what? I mean, I was always in the realm of like armor, but not in historical armor. So right. first I was like, what if I did like Warcraft stuff? What if I did like Legend of Zelda stuff? Um, but quickly realized one, there was already a fair number of brands doing that in the market already. And also licensing is like a beast of its own. I just didn't want that to like, be my business I want to focus on the art and not on the legal stuff Mm. um so I kind of landed on like wait we have a whole hundreds of years of actual armor um to use as reference material instead why not kind of focus on that I've never seen anyone try to approach it from like a historical angle Mm. um so that's where I kind of landed and then that was in 2014 so there were three years between like Ellie managed to get a job eventually yay Mm. um And so, like, when I started the day job, advertising is a very demanding industry. So it was, you know, the kind of thing where you get home at eight o'clock and then you got to work weekends and you just like don't have any creative energy left in your body at the end of the day. Um, So I didn't make a lot of progress for a while until I kind of reached a breaking point where I was like, I'm tired of tethering my self-worth and my enjoyment of my work in clients like because you're such a slave to their taste honestly Mm -hmm. um not to say that client tastes are invalid everyone has is entitled to their preferences but as an artist just like to be continually told like your intuition is incorrect it was just like you feel blind after a while (laughs) right um so i was like you know i need a project that is for me that fulfills me that makes me feel like i'm making good work regardless of an outside stakeholder, right? Um, so that was really my impetus to 
put the Kickstarter out in the world and like see if it stuck and see if anyone was like, yes, I like these things too. Um, and sure enough, there are other people that like those things too. <laughs> so I was thrilled that it did as well as it did. I did not expect that level of success. So when you did it as a Kickstarter, was that just as a sort of trial really, like just to see how it would float? Absolutely. Like it was a, I don't know if I'll even sell a hundred pairs of leggings. I just wanted, it was like a, a proof of concept, yeah. really. Like, is anyone as much of a nerd as me and w would love to wear armor in their daily lives, but don't yes. have $5,000 <laughs> lying around, right? <laughs> so. Oh, so when did you realize that it was more than just a Kickstarter and, you know, proof, proof of concept that it, you could actually make this your career? When it made as much money as it did. So uh, my original goal for the Kickstarter was like $10,000. And that was really for like a production run of 100 leggings and then to recoup all of my investment in like developing patterns and make, having samples made and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it ended up grossing like $174,000. And I was like, screw the day job. <laughs> If I can make that much money by myself, of course, that's gross, right? It's not net. It's not after I've paid my manufacturer, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I was like, I, I'm abused like 12 hours a day at my day job. Why don't I just do my own thing, enjoy my own stuff and not have to be um, beholden to anyone else? So in 2018, uh, my lease was up in the place I, I like specifically moved to be closer to this job. Um, and I was like, my lease is up why am I here? Why am I doing this? I'll just cut loose <laughs> and do my own thing. Um, so for the next two years, I did Lorca full-time, um, but I will confess it was incredibly stressful. Yeah. Um, so now I am back to doing Lorca as well as like a day support job. So I... Um, in the end of 2019 started a new job which I really appreciate because like it's still in my field I'm still a designer but it is not as demanding as my previous job mm -hmm. it's paid better and also like there's an understanding that like what you do at work is not you yeah. whereas like in the previous advertising gig I was explicitly told like so many people would love to be doing this. If your heart's not in it, then you should just get out. You know, like if you don't love the work, then it's not even worth being here, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, and I'm just sort of like at a place in my life where I'm like, the job is for me to live. And then the stuff I do outside the job is for me to feel alive, right? Like I don't need my work to be my like soul fulfillment, right? Uh -huh. Soul, S-O-L-E and also soul, S-O-U-L, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need more than 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 your, you know. It doesn't need to be your job. Doesn't need to be your life. Uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That can be very you know limiting, right? Um, so yeah, so Lorica flourished beyond your expectations. Mm -hmm. uh, what 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 is the philosophy behind the brand? Right. So I like to say that there. Are our three core values to Lorica. Um, one, historicity. I'm really interested in staying as close to the source material as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, in, in some cases, I have to take a little bit of artistic license when, like, the canvas of the garment 
necessitates it. So for example, if you've seen the Henry VIII dress, um, I sort of changed the way the tassets work to fit the skirt because it's a, it's an anime armor, not anime as in like, you know, kawaii, segoi, whatever, but as in like, um, it's a specific kind of Italian style where um, the lames sort of connect all the way down the leg. I don't know how to explain it better. Okay, more other people could better have more vocabulary. But um, so because the tacits are incorporated into the cuisses, it's really like it doesn't work on a dress as well that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas the skirt looks better as a more traditional like falds and tacits kind of thing again if you don't know armor words i'm probably speaking gibberish but it's, it's like a, it's like a skirt that comes off of um your waist right much as a dress does um so i i sort of changed it for that reason but i really feel like the attention to detail and the actual artifacts is what makes lorica stuff cool as opposed to mm -hmm. just sort of like made up by ellie which could also be cool but i feel like people have more attachment mm -hmm. um to the real stories behind them um, and then I guess ethics. So is the second tenet, which is that everything I make is made in the USA. Everyone is paid a fair wage. I just didn't want to be part of a system of exploitation yeah. the way that so many, um, especially clothing brands are. I mean, I think because there has been such an outcry about, um, sweatshops and whatnot, um, that, a lot of things are improving across the globe and I really hate feeding into this kind of like like veiled xenophobia where we're like we hate goods from China be yeah. ostensibly because of labor conditions but really because we just hate Chinese things right like I hate that kind of attitude yeah so I don't want to at all say like don't make things abroad because they're inherently poopy yeah but like just dislike exploitation that's all I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna leave it um, stop regardless right. of who's exploiting right and then third tenet is sustainability so to the best of my ability i try to make choices that limit um i guess Lorca's footprint so mm -hmm. it's a little like i get <laughs> a lot of haterade from really eco-conscious people who rightly um critique some of the materials I use. So I used recycled PET that is like made from recycled water bottles and other post-consumer plastics to create polyester fiber um, that is used in leggings. And so recycled fiber is, in my opinion, just a better choice than virgin polyester. Um, it uses less uh, fossil fuel. It has fewer emissions. It's just not as wasteful and toxic a process as making things fresh, right? Um, but it is not a perfect solution. Um, it still has emissions. It's still plastic. So it still has the microfiber, um, microfiber. Yes, that's the word, um, problem of whenever you wash something with synthetic fibers, tiny little bits break off. And if you don't have a filtration system, um, will eventually flow into waterways and growing microfiber pollution is a big problem. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard to do better because I just, I, in my, in my opinion, you can disagree with me if you've done more research, anyone out there. Um, it is hard to find a solution that is better in every way. Everything has some sort of drawback. Yeah. So 
Cotton uses tons of water, it uses tons of land, not to mention also labor exploitation of the people who pick that cotton, mm -hmm. etc. Um, there's a new material called tensile, which is really cool because it's made with bamboo, which requires less land, less water than cotton. And so you can create fibers out of that. However, you basically have to melt the bamboo with a solvent material that is also toxic, so it's not perfect either. All this to say, like, it is very hard to make zero, like, zero footprint decisions. Yeah. And so all this to say, I use recycled polyester because I feel like it's the best compromise of you can use it for dye sublimation still, which is the printing process we use to create full color prints. Um, it still has the performance and durability and longevity of polyester and other synthetic fibrics that natural fibers do not have. Um, and it is at least better than not trying at all. <laughs> yeah. So, so my, my mindset on sustainability is just trying to make the best decision you can, as opposed to, I feel like the traditional model has just been make the cheapest decision you can. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to weigh the options as much as I can, and hopefully there will be better solutions in the future as we make strides in technology. So. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, it's uh, commendable that those are the sort of three cornerstones of your of your out your outlook, the historicity, you know, being true to the to the original material, just like Hema. Uh, mm -hmm being ethical and uh, sustainability these are all sort of considerations that we can no longer ignore i mm. think uh, mm -hmm. people have just because of the bottom line um uh, and it's it's not something that uh, is sustainable like literally isn't sustainable not just like um you know the practices but fashion um, production methods cannot continue that way it's just not possible right. um right. and talking of ethics um in your amazing amazing photo shoots uh, you model a lot of the stuff yourself uh as well and you've done um you know you know being a petite lady you also want to cater of course for all kinds of different sizes mm. and and um shapes and mm -hmm. heights. Uh, so you have a very diverse range of models in your photo shoots, which is fantastic. Um, I just want to sort of talk about that for a bit. Well, I'll just let you riff off of that. But also, um, I'm going to ask you if you can include in your answer, when you create sizes for people, does it follow, you know, the fashion industry standard, uh, like Russian doll type thing? sizing or is it more like human beings you know like you have sh short fat people and uh you know tall skinny people you have tall large people you know is does height uh come in to for example just one sort of factor that comes into uh the sizing of your of your clothing and how does that affect how easy it is or not easy it is to create a range of clothing right, Loads right. Of there. really good questions yeah <laughs> So I guess um, starting from the top, yeah. I, as you say, I am a small person and I <laughs> have what I would call skinny bitch privilege. <laughs> so like I, I try not to model, I mean, 
the website is full of my face right now because the pandemic has made it so that it was very hard for me to invite models, especially since my photo studio is now in my house. So, and I live with my um, older parents, so I just didn't want to like cross contaminate too much. Yeah. Um, but in the beginning, I tried to have as little me as possible because so during the Kickstarter, I used that backer data to kind of like learn size distribution mm -hmm. and like people shaped like me are like, well, we're, 2% of total orders, right? It, it, it was really eye-opening to me because, of course, you assume that you are normal. And it, in whatever body you inhabit, you're like, I'm normal. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm not normal. I have learned. <laughs> so, like, most people do not have this shape and size. So um, I have tried to be more inclusive, um, especially of I had a lot of feedback during the Kickstarter campaign that there was a lot of desire for plus sizes. Mm -hmm. So as one of the stretch goals, we have developed plus sizing um, and accordingly cast models for that. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really important to me that the people who represent my clothes are like real people. Yeah. Um, to be fair, my best friend is like, well, she was a professional dancer. Now she's kind of transitioned to physical therapy. But um, through her, I've met a lot of other dancers and I just love the way dancers' bodies move. They're just, like, liquid. I love them. Anyway, yeah. so for that reason, I've cast a lot of dance people, and they perhaps don't have the most, like, accessible shape, right? Um, so I will confess I was starstruck there. <laughs> but I, all of my models are my friends. Like, they are people I know in real life. Of course, I pay them still, because yeah. if you offer me your time, you deserve to be compensated. Um, but I, I really enjoy that they don't look like um, beautiful aliens, right? <laughs> a lot of like, real people, um, like, like right, yeah, right. Like they're not gods from Olympus. They're yeah. just like normal, beautiful people. Um, so I've I've tried to keep that in mind when I cast, and um, as and also during the Kickstarter, there was a desire for like men sizing. Mm -hmm. um, which was a little tricky for me because the dirty secret of men's clothes is that there's no difference in men's leggings and women's leggings, really. Um, so what we sort of decided on for what I call iron fit, um, because I also try to keep things inclusive in a gendered way too. Like, I don't want to say these pants are for men, these pants are for women, because again, it totally just depends on the shape of your body and, mm. There are so, there's so much crossover between what is like, quote, quote, a man's shape and quote, quote, a woman's shape. Mm -hmm. um, so we just call them standard fit plus fit and iron fit. Yeah. Um, so iron fit, the difference that we made is that we added like a front gusset. Um, if you look on the website, you can see kind of what the difference is. It's basically instead of having the diamond gusset in the crotch for um, camel toe management, um, we have a gusset in the front. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for a um a little more comfort for other anatomical parts that one may or may not have um but also we've added a little room in the quads and a little room in the calves so that um actually I was putting together a little bit of a, a diagram I can show y'all yeah. so I'll, I'll add to that and add the uh iron fit as well um so that's another reason I sort of call it iron fit rather than men's fit, because aside from the front gusset, it's really just meant to suggest a shape 
where you have bigger calves and quads. Mm -hmm. And that could easily be anyone who lifts, right? So it's not really a question of like what gender you may have, but rather um, what shape you may have. Um, So getting to how to design for different shapes. So let me see if I can... Let's see. Can y'all see that? Yeah. Okay. So this in the middle is an extra, extra large. Yeah. Ooh, 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 there we go. Extra... Okay. I think I can see it in the reflection when I'm showing. Okay. So this in the middle is an extra, extra large and standard. Right. So you can see that it's pretty straight up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of variation in the calf area or in the booty area. Mm-hmm. And here is the plus size version of a 1X. So that's our like starting plus size size. So you can see there's not a lot of difference in the waist. The waist is a little wider, mm-hmm. but mostly there's a little extra room in the booty and a little extra room in the calf. But more, it's like almost the same size, right? Yeah. And this is our extra, extra large in Iron Fit, which again has a little extra room in the quad, a little extra room in the calf, but a little bit narrower of a waist and a booty region. Um, again, just if you have a shape that has a less full seat, but more um, like quad and calf room. That's kind of the consideration there. Mm. Um, So I can kind of show you, okay, so this is what the Russian doll you're thinking of, right? When you think of pattern grading. So within a particular style, um, it grading software, basically, it's not an exact one-to-one of you just drag a corner and that's the new size. Mm -hmm. It does get a, little wider than it does tall with every step Mm -hmm. um but it is more or less a russian doll kind of idea or nesting doll yeah nesting yeah malign russians for any reason um so that's traditional grading but again when you design a fit for another shape it's not like people like it's not like plus size people are just like seven feet tall and accordingly wider right like obviously certain parts of the body widen um, that doesn't have to do with height yeah. as, you know, with different body shapes. And again, people are, are plus size in different ways. Like yeah. some people are stay kind of like straight shaped and just uh, and are really tall. And some people are a little shorter and curvier. So it just like, it totally depends. And um, I've been a little bit slow about releasing plus sizes in different garments besides leggings. Um Partially because it, um, Ellie is lazy and um, <laughs> just sort of prefers making new artwork. Because whenever I, how to say, for each size, I have to kind of like individually modify the art again because it's not just a straight view. Like I have to make it a little bit wider and then not as tall for each one. So I have to kind of treat them individually. So whenever I create a new size or range it just makes more work for me so that that is part of it but in my in my itty bitty defense um there's a lot of fit testing that goes involved into creating like a new plus size pattern so for example i just recently finished um creating a plus size dress variation i saw so yeah, so several things kind of had to change about it because our um, existing dresses um, are meant to, like the bodice stops at like the quote quote natural waist. 
but the quote quote natural race uh, not race um waste <laughs> for a um skinny person um tends to be like further down it's like where your ribs stop right whereas for a plus size person what is a more flattering place and more waist-like place is like kind of right under your um, bosom because that tends to be the narrowest part of the body rather than down here. Mm -hmm. So one of the considerations for the plus dress was raising the waist. So it's more of a empire waist rather than an A-line waist because I, based on the fit model, that was just more flattering for her. Um, And accordingly, we've made the skirt a lot fuller, so it kind of skims the curves a little better, because when you're a straighter body type, you can kind of get away with a a skirt with less volume, because it's not going to suddenly turn into a pencil skirt on you, right? Yeah. Um, So that was one of the considerations. We also added sleeves, because I got a lot of feedback that like this is one of the original dresses and the cap sleeve I personally like. It works for my body, but a lot of people are like, don't like calf sleeves. <laughs> we want a longer sleeve. So we've added a longer sleeve that ends more here, um, like below the deltoid as opposed to like on the deltoid. Yeah. Um, and that was a consideration. So, and we've also changed the fabric because the fabric that we use for um, the more standard dresses is a bit lighter. Um, but for that reason, it just like is less forgiving. Like it just shows more things, mm. which not everyone likes. So we've used the legging fabric, which is a bit heavier, mm. um, for the size dresses. So, uh, I have the prototype in hand. Now I just have to find a model to shoot it. Yeah. And then it can go on the website. But again, pandemic stuff. I get my final vaccination on May 15th. Ooh. So soon. So by the beginning of June, I will be ready for photos. Because, <laughs> I mean, it really is not. Everything you've described there is like, it really isn't just draw it the same thing slightly bigger. It's right. so many things, like the fabric, the waistline, everything, the shape is completely different. And you then, of course, you have to rethink the design, like you say, like the, the original mm-hmm. artwork has to change because the canvas has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, yeah, it really is... Uh, a testament to your dedication to cater for uh, people's needs and right I, I d- did you hear the podcast well it was a, it was a live stream between Charles Lynn and uh, Kaya Sadowski uh, they were talk- yeah did you hear that and they were talking about mm-hmm. historical clothing mm-hmm. and I thought there's some really interesting parallels there I was just having I'm having some lateral thoughts here about mm-hmm. making stuff to fit the person Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you said you, we both said like we assume that we are the norm and like mm-hmm. this person is a different size like most people are like me but it turn, no, turns out that not many people are like me at all it's really hard to find clothes that fit me um yeah. so yeah I, I think that's the because like it, actually the truth is everyone is completely different there's mm-hmm. just you know there isn't really an average person mm-hmm. um and they were saying Kaya and Charles were talking about okay first of all they were talking on the one hand on charles's side about making stuff to fit a, uh like a suit of armor to fit a, a knight or or his his undergarments or whatever and and then when kaya was talking about hema clubs you know what we're drawn to is what we think is for us you know mm-hmm. is this made for me is mm-hmm. this made specifically with me in mind you know, and it kind of all relates to like that, you know, that diversity, that inclusion, 
isn't just fashion brands it's places as well it's like has has how much how much thought has gone into this like you were describing like the process all the kind of considerations you have to to go through in order to make a something that for someone uh who is outside of you know the standard fit, fits and then it's the, it's the same with hema clubs it's like if we all think right hema clubs are like this made for this kind of person of course those other people that we never see in hema clubs are going to pass it by because it there's no message there to say this is made specifically with you in mind for you right, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent there, but it, it, it did just sort of fire some synapses just listening to you talk about that. Um, we're, we're past the halfway point. It's absolutely fascinating. And I've seen that some people have asked some stuff in the comments here. I just wanted to have addressed the eight viewers who are with us right now and anyone who comes in uh, to listen to our chat. Uh, please, uh, if you have any questions for, for uh, Ellie, just hit that button at the bottom of your screen. It looks like a speech bubble with a question mark in it. Uh, and uh, we will answer your questions. Um, I've, I've still got more questions here to ask you in the meantime. And I see someone has asked you something further up. I'm just going to find it. Um, some, some appreciative noises in the audience <laughs> for, for your consideration for plus size clothing. It's really appreciated. Um, right, where were we? Blah, blah. Here we go. Troll K. So Troll Carla Armory says, "What was the most stressful of the pure focus on on Lorica?" Right. So basically, since the beginning of the business, I have tried to reinvest as much back in as possible. Um, I didn't want to kind of like. Again, maybe this is part of being a woman or whatever, because Lorca is my baby, and I'm like, it's it's um, livelihood comes before mine. Um, <laughs> so I would like be like, why would I pay myself five hundred dollars when I could like see if paying a publicist five hundred dollars would like grow the business, like things like that. Yeah. Um, so I basically. Yeah, like I don't think I paid myself anything like for the two years I worked completely on Lorica. So the most stressful part was just like paying the bills. Like um, I'm also a yoga teacher and I also walked dogs during that time. Like I just did anything to be able to make money to pay things to like pay for being alive yeah. because I was trying to just let Lorica do its thing. Like I didn't want to um, stunt it by trying to make it support me. Right. Um, so I think in the first year, let's see, 2018, I think we made somewhere around $60,000. But of course, all that went back into like into the paying for fabric, paying for other stuff. Um, I don't remember 2019. I think it was maybe like 80. I want to say 80 or 90. And then 20 is 130. So we've kind of been on the uptrend. Um, but the last year, Ellie didn't pay herself, but she was able to um, in buy photo studio equipment. So I now no longer have to rent a studio. I can just do it in my house, which is great. Right. And even though it's not like paying me like de facto, it was sort of like buying myself a present because like I love photography in general. So now I have all these like great new toys to play with. Um, but for sure, the most stressful part is just like surviving as a human 
who also does the business. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very lucky to have, um, like, the boyfriend then, the husband now, um, was sort of my rock. So, like, when I couldn't pay full rent, he would pay my half or whatever. But I've just always rejected the notion of, like, being your spouse's barnacle and just, mm -hmm. like, leeching off of them. Like, I've always wanted to kind of stand on my own two feet and not depend on someone else. Yeah. So, well appreciate his support forever but like really wanted to be able to feel like i so I, I have my own power right yeah um so that that is also why the day job has really like helped me not only like like in the most literal sense make money and pay my share but also just like mentally feel like i am in control right and that also relieves so much stress because i don't have to worry like oh no i have to make enough to be able to pay myself this year it just lets me make decisions intuitively that i think are right mm -hmm. for the business as opposed to stress like for example in 2019 not 2019, 2018 i did a lot of um fairs and conventions and things like that and every time it was incredibly stressful to be like I have to put down you know 500 to a thousand dollars on a booth for example and I'm like can I afford to put down a thousand dollars is that going to pay off is that going to be like a crippling investment like that kind of thing and now I can just be like yeah try it if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't but because I have an income stream outside of Lorica I don't have to like worry so much about taking risks doesn't so. feel like so much of a gamble. Right, exactly. Um, great question. Um, yeah, BTR Chris 89 says plus size buyers appreciate it. So we were, that's in response to what you were saying about, you know, the effort, that you, the, the lengths that you've gone to to uh, make the plus size stuff available. Um, I was going to say, I, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing that you've got guys to buy leggings because outside of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I've never seen guys buy leggings before. Yeah, like, I've seen people, like, in my neighborhood wearing, like, running leggings. So they'll have, like, oh, black, yeah. like, an underlayer and then, like, shorts on top. But I'm like, dudes, come on board. Jeans are not it. No. Leggings are where it's at. Like, I haven't worn a pair of jeans for, like, four years. I'm like, ever since I discovered, well, ever since I started became becoming a yoga teacher, I'm basically living in yoga pants. I'm like, why would you choose any other way? Yeah, <laughs> I just if I can't do splits in it, I don't want to wear it. So. <laughs> okay, we got a question in the questions box. Um, oh, that's gone. Um, so I was going to ask you. You are also a live stream host, S. Uh, you on your on your Facebook page, I think, uh, via mm -hmm. Zoom, you've done some really really cool um, interviews with folks. I don't know how, what's the frequency. How often do you do those? I try to do it once a month, except when I'm too tired. Yeah. So this month is one such month. <laughs> Obviously, you're not busy enough, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so once a month, you talk to. Yeah, you know, I think the last one was it, Jess Finley. It was. Yeah. So they were amazing. I mean, they're all fantastic, but she's fantastic. Yeah, she's a great, she's a great person to, to talk to uh, about all kinds of stuff. Uh, and and when I was talking to her, it was as an it was as a HEMA instructor. But you were speaking to her in the in the capacity of a historical, uh, armor, mm -hmm. aficionado. Because she, mm -hmm. so she was talking about making uh, cloth, yes, armor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you've spoken to uh, Dr. Jeffrey Forgang and the Higgins Armoury Collection staff. Now, mm-hmm. where did the sort of idea come from to start doing these interviews? Was it because you, you rub shoulders with, or you, you, as part of your research for your, your designs, you end up talking to all these people anyway? Where did, where did the uh, idea come from? Yeah, um, I knew none of these people prior to cold calling, cold emailing them. <laughs> um, so it started as an idea where I was personally like, I miss going to conventions. I want to go to a Renaissance fair, like in the middle of 2020 when it was not possible to do anything fun ever. Yeah. Um, so the idea kind of came as first I thought I'm going to host an online medieval like Renaissance convention. And then I'm like, okay, pare it down, pare down the idea because <laughs> I don't know how I would like make that fun yeah. um, or make that meaningful and not dumb. So I was like, okay, what if we just make it like panels, right? So I originally had conceived of it not as like an individual speaker giving one lecture at a time, but like a group of experts like having a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but then actually the more I explored it, like the more I was like, each of these people is so, is so brilliant by themselves. They can each talk for an hour by themselves. There's no reason to gang them together. Mm-hmm. Um and that's kind of how I landed on it. So I, I didn't in, originally intend for it to be recurring. I really just planned it as like a week's series in May. Um, naively, adorably, uh, I was like, oh, we got to hit it before like things open up because there was talk in the U.S. back in May of last year that like restrictions were going to lift. Summer means the virus was over. It was all going to go back to normal. So I was all like, oh, we got to hit it before it goes back to normal. Well, people are still at home. Oh, I was in a time. <laughs> I know. What, what, what a cherished babe I was. Um, but anyway, so I planned for this whole week-long series. So one person each day. And I kind of wanted to hit like there are so many experts that I haven't touched yet, so I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that, like, I've already exhausted them, they're all gone, no one brilliant is left. But I really wanted to, like, hit the people who I know already have, like, existing cachet in the community. So, like, Toby Capwell, Jeff Wasson, um, mm-hmm. Chaz Kirchhoff, like, people who are known to be experts and that would really get some buzz, right? Mm-hmm. Because these are, like, the, the celebrities of armor. Um, so I just cold emailed people cold slid into some instagram dms to be like hey you don't know who i am but um would you give a talk for me please um and i was astounded that anyone said yes so like, when i got an email back from toby capel i'm like <laughs> senpai noticed me um, <laughs> so it went really well and i am it went so well that that's why I've kind of been doing a recurring series because there's just still so much to talk about and mm-hmm. so many people to kind of like call upon to tell their stories and share their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, then I'm like, why stop there? Yeah. So it's, it's been really good. And it's been really nice to meet all these, like, frankly, super, super lovely as well as super, super brilliant people. Yeah. Um, I haven't met like an ego yet. All of the, everyone has been amazing. So I've just, touched Aww. by uh, our community being so awesome it sounds really familiar <laughs> <laughs> like, i was only gonna do like interview all my instructors last year and it's like 70 interviews later it's like who am i gonna interview now um mm-hmm. 
it's yeah i think in the time of covid one of the one of the blessings in disguise was being forced to contact people via zoom and online mm -hmm. like this is something that we probably wouldn't have done that much in the past right but then it's like well we can so this mm -hmm. <laughs> is really cool person that i've always wanted to talk to so i will and i want right right and I'll call in, in that way it's sort of i'm not gonna when everyone, anyone says the pandemic was a blessing in disguise, I'm like, no one say that ever. It was not. But However, some good things have come out of it. And I think those things include um, reaching out to people who we would have just never thought to because, yeah. oh, they're 3,000 miles away, whatever. One day, I'll, one day I'll visit, but like, didn't really think about doing um, this kind of interaction. Mm. And then also, hopefully, remote work will stay. Because yeah. Ellie loves working from home. <laughs> Ellie hates commuting. So let's hope. Yeah, I think it's just changed the landscape of the workplace completely. Right. Uh, all the, every practice has is, is just changed immeasurably. Um, oh, we've got a question in our question box. Oh, someone tried to type something. and uh, It's come out blank. Oh, here we go. Princess Fairy Troll, where can oh. we watch this series to tell us about yes. the yes. interview? So if you go to Lorica's Facebook page, um, if you look in the video section, there should be a whole archive of things called Steel Symposium. That's the name of the series. And we have at least, I want to say 10 of them now. Mm -hmm. So you can watch anything from like Toby Capwell discussing um, sort of the puffed and slashed styled armors of the German Renaissance, Chaz Kirchhoff talking about um, sort of like armor as a medium of memory, mm -hmm. Jeff Wasson giving a tour of his studio, like awesome topics. You should check it out. If you don't have Facebook, I'm sorry, I'm going to figure it out one day. <laughs> I'm thinking of like, maybe I'll put them on YouTube or something. It's just the thorny thing about image licensing because a lot of these images are from museums and not every museum is as awesome as the Met and it's just like sure go take it creative commons whatever um a lot of them are like for a small fee of 500 euro you can use my image for three months right so we'll see <laughs> uh, okay i've got a couple more questions because we're coming to the end of our amazing interviews but it's been something i've been looking forward to for so long um an unpleasant topic of plagiarism. How do you how do you deal with that in the creative? Yeah. So because my Kickstarter was so successful, and I work with a small manufacturer in Portland, Oregon, um, and I usually don't mention their studio, not because I'm like protect the assets, she's mine, mm. um, but just because. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that is the reason. <laughs> they're, they're JLD studios in Oregon. They're great. I love them. Um, they were instrumental to founding my brand. But because they work with so many brands like me, um, there were like a glut of Kickstarters after me who were clients of JLD who basically lifted my entire Kickstarter page except for the products. Like they would use my exact language, my exact marketing, like use word for word things that I had written and benefits of the thing. And I'm just like, your product isn't even the same. <laughs> what are you doing? I think people are just really desperate for success and like Kickstarters are scary. It's like throwing yourself out there. And if you're not someone who comes from the realm of advertising and marketing the way that I kind of am, 
um, writing your own copy, I understand, can be daunting. But I was just like, dude, try a little harder. Like, this is like high school cliff notes, at least change the wording so that you can't just Google it, right? Um, so I'm like, dudes, uh, art-wise, knock on every wooden surface in my house, I haven't encountered anyone stealing my literal art yet. Mm -hmm. um, though we do copyright everything, at least in the US, um, I think international copyright is a little trickier. So the, like AliExpress wanted to steal something, I guess you would have to figure that out. Um, so I haven't seen that yet, but recently there was a scam where someone created a Facebook page that was like Lorica Dash clothing rather than just Lorica clothing and then used my entire customer list to like email them a scam and was, oh. well, Facebook messaged them a scam yeah. and was like, click here for a free giveaway, enter your information and get leggings. And I'm like, dudes, I, well, I don't blame my customers for getting targeted. Yeah. Um, in fact, I was really embarrassed and like, felt super bad that just by liking my page, they were targeted for a scam. Mm -hmm. um, but it was really frustrating that someone would prey on me, maybe because I'm small enough, but a small, a big enough small person uh, to be worth targeting, as opposed to like Lululemon, because if you get a scam from someone claiming to be Lululemon, I feel like it is fairly obvious that it is not yeah. true. Um, but yeah, I don't run giveaways. I've run like, two giveaways ever so if you ever get a spammy message that's like get free lorica stuff it's not true it ain't me but you can always ask and i will tell you whether or not it's true so it's, it's tough out people suck sometimes most of the time people are great but sometimes they suck <laughs> yeah right my final question for you unless anyone uh, asks that while i'm speaking is um have you got any new items in the pipeline that you want to give us some uh, clues about mm -hmm. Sneaky peekies. Uh, oh, I can bring up a few a few screenshots of half finished things because I have shiny object syndrome sometimes, <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, I have a great idea, and then I'll just like move on to the next great idea before <laughs> I finish that one. Um, mainly, I have a lot. Like, I want to make a rash guard for each of my existing legging designs. So I've been trying to work on Henry the Eighth, but. It is a bear for a number of reasons. One, I've never, I've never had to do pauldrons before. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to navigate the sleeve fitting into the other pieces of, <laughs> to make the pauldron work are, um, is tricky. And um, also because Henry was, she, he was the last of my first generation of design. So Augsburg, Scudamore, and Henry were the first ones I made. Um, so I was like, I was better than I was when I was doing Augsburg. I was learning more things about how to do my process. So I think it's it was the best of the three. But since then, I have learned even more. And so when I go back into it to create new things with like the Henry artwork, I'm like, Maybe I should just redo everything Henry ever because I hate the way I done this. I designed the filigree. Now that I have better pictures of the object, oh, I could like do more detail in the etching. Like, there's just so much I'm like I want to like fix now that I'm looking at it. So I have to figure out like, do I do I change it or do I just live with it? And mm -hmm. you're always gonna see the flaws though. 
Yeah, I know, I know. I should I should let it go, but I can't let it go. <laughs> like the bladesmiths I've had in here, they'll, they'll, they'll say like they're never you're never happy with something. You just see everything that's wrong with it. Right, right. And then like oh, that's why so I have a tattoo that I love. It is I did not draw it. Everyone always asks me, Oh, did you do your own tattoo since you're an artist? I'm like, no, because if I did do my own tattoo, I'd have to look at it every day of my life and I would hate it more and more. But because it's someone else, I can look at it and fall in love with it more and more every day. <laughs> but here, I can show you. So after Francesca Levy and Rachel Creek gave a talk for me on um Indian armors. I don't know if you can see. Oh. So there's this beautiful, beautiful coat in the royal collection um of let's see that's made of pangolin scales um and they're like each individually decorated and gilt um so i want to make a rash guard based on that i've sort of gone somewhere but it, it's sort of half finished um let's see uh -huh. if this is done oh and then i have a oh i gotta aim uh a cuirassier armor from the met that i'm also sort of like halfway done with but it's just one of those things where once I got into the nitty-gritty I'm like this is effort I'm gonna go do something else now <laughs> so there was an attempt um, I have a lot of like half-finished skeletons like that in my folders where I'm just like it would be another three hours to finish but I'm like it will be another three hours to finish so <laughs> I just gotta like get it there get it over the hump there's some really pretty things that we might be seeing in the future. Possibly mm -hmm. the top half to uh, a lot of your famous leggings uh, mm -hmm. in the form of rash guards. So mm -hmm. uh, that leaves me to say, Ellie, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Really looking forward to what you do next. Um, and it's been brilliant to sort of be uh, a part of hear about your creative process and meet the person behind the brand and, and the items and see what goes what goes into making this stuff because it's it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. It was so good to meet you as well. I love reading your posts and I love watching your TikToks. So I'm just like I'm meeting her in the the internet flesh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care, and I'll see you soon. All right. Yeah. Till next time. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To show your appreciation, please give us a five-star review on your podcast platform or support our work by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash swordwomen. Go to at swordwomen on Instagram to see upcoming interviews or visit bythesword.net to learn about our events or visit our Facebook page, By the Sword. Thank you.